I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today has been an incredible leader his entire career, whether it was leading the city of Irvine as a mayor in the Arena Football League, or most recently as the president and CEO of the NFL Hall of Fame. Dave Baker brings an enormous presence, intellect, and passion to his role as the ambassador of the greatest players that have played the game in the National Football League. Our guest, David Baker. So welcome, friends. I've got this gentleman that I've known for a long period of time that is now the CEO of the National Football League Hall of Fame and has really rebuilt it. But in order to understand him, you got to understand his background and his career and how he was this successful basketball player, a lawyer, politician, and developed great businesses and turned around the Arena Football League. I want to introduce you to, to David Baker. David, welcome. Thanks, Jed. It's always good to, for, to talk to somebody who remembers my basketball career, because that was about 150 pounds ago. For our audience that, that may not know you, uh, Dave Baker is a large man. He is probably <laughs> 6'9", 280 to 300 pounds, if that's fair. I think you're about 120 light there. I'm about 400, 405 pounds right now, but I hope I carry it well. <laughs> no doubt. Let's talk about how you got into basketball and where you grew up in Southern California. I was born in uh, Downey, California, which is kind of a suburb of Los Angeles. And uh, I was born one month after my parents came there from Arkansas and Mississippi. And both my mom and dad uh, were really good people who couldn't read or write. But my dad, I think, worked in a lumber yard his whole life long uh, and was the hardest working man I've ever known. And my mom, uh, her only real attribute that she had developed in some respects in life was that she loved kids. So she would take care of other people's kids. And uh, strangely enough, while they didn't have a whole lot of education or sophistication, those were two really important lessons they taught me, how to work hard and how to love, love others. So, you know, it was kind of with that and, and, and I, I didn't have much in life. We, it was a 900 square foot house and my mom would sometimes have three kids in there that she was taking care of for a period of time as a foster parent or, or, or helping the county out. And um, so I had a ball bat and, uh, you know, a baseball glove and until I was, Probably a senior in high school, I had a backboard that was made of two two by fours with two by fours across it that my dad had made. But I didn't know any better. I thought it was great. And it was a lot, you know, I was having fun, but I wanted to play football. And uh, I was always fascinated by the game of football, how it takes different people from different sizes with different attributes. 
if so many people work together, back at that time, what they do is they take you out and they'd weigh you. And I was a big kid. So when I was eight years old and wanted to play in the, with the Pee Wee League, uh, they wanted me to play with a 14-year-old. So that didn't work. Uh, by the time I got to high school, it was a three-year high school. And at that time, you kind of had to play one sport in the spring and one sport in the fall. I, I was a pretty accomplished basketball player. And I knew that ba- basketball at least was going to get me to college. And sure enough, it did. It got me to a scholarship to UC Irvine. Uh, I was one of the first scholarship players there. I got a chance to play with a all-star Christian basketball team throughout Europe and the Soviet Union. Uh, and I also had a partial uh, NC2A scholarship to law school at Pepperdine. So sports has meant a lot to me. How do you get into politics? <laughs> I, I think the question is, how do you get out of politics? Well, uh, I had been a, uh, you know, a relatively well-known player at UC Irvine. When I went there, it was also uh, the first year that freshmen could play varsity. So I started my first game at center. The guy who threw up the ceremonial jump ball like they someday do was the mayor of Irvine. And Irvine had been founded uh, just a couple of years before. Uh, I, I Matter of fact, I, I think it was founded the year I graduated from high school. So it was probably the year before I jumped a ball here for my first game. And the guy said, hey, you never know. Maybe someday you can be mayor. <laughs> but I went through uh, college. I was an English literature major played in Europe, uh, both professionally and with this all-star Christian basketball team, Uh, then went to law school. And as I got involved, I got deeply involved in the community. And there were a lot of things I cared about in terms of uh, making the community a better place. And I think there's a lot of things you learn in sports about the science of team and how to bring people together. And so I started getting involved in the community and Next thing you know, people wanted to build some hospital and, and maybe I was bringing some of my legal skills to that. And I kind of got sucked into it Uh um, and did that and uh, was the mayor of Irvine there for a while. I I learned a lot and it was fun to participate in one of America's first master plan cities. I learned a lot about economic development and learned a lot about politics too. The arena football league, how does that happen? I had thought I'd made enough money as a, a lawyer and developer that I saw this thing on TV and uh, it looked a little crazy, but a lot of fun and thought maybe I could own a team. So I got a couple partners and went out there and, and got involved. And uh, but my first meeting I went to was in St. Louis and uh, I didn't say too much. Uh, didn't, you know, there, there were a couple of times I spoke up for what I thought was fair with this commissioner but I didn't really participate too much. And I had to leave about, it was a two day meeting for the owners and I had to leave about an hour early because I made a commitment to get back to give a speech. And uh, while I was gone, they elected me as president of the owners. And later on the next day, one of the guys calls me and he says, uh, Hey, congratulations. You're the president of the owners. I said, how does that happen? I said, that's my first meeting. I said, I don't even know these guys. And he says, well, he says, I think that speech you, you, you made about honesty and doing the right thing, he says, maybe some of them listened to it. <laughs> and, and the truth wasn't that. It, the truth was that these guys competed each, against each other, and they didn't trust each other, and they'd rather take a chance on the new guy than they would on the other guys they know. 
and that was my indoctrination into sports and politics and sports. It, it is a hard business, as David Stern once told me. He says um, it can be a struggle. When, when I first became commissioner of the Arena Football League, I, after that, a year later, uh, I had dinner with David Stern, and I said, "Hey, you got any advice?" And he said, "Well." He says, my advice is it's been a struggle every day for 12 years. So then I become commissioner for 12 years and, and about to leave. And David's still commissioner of the NBA. And I said, uh, what advice have you got for me now? And he says, well, my advice is it's been a struggle every day for 24 years. And then he paused for a second and he said, but you know what? On those days when you got a little fight in you, it's a hell of a great job. I, I think it is. And and uh, the Arena Football League was a lot of fun. I was real proud of what we built. The values of teams went up. The, you know, being on NBC for four years and then on ESPN for Monday nights. There were a lot of wonderful, dynamic young people that are now serving in the NFL, uh, you know, coaches, executives. It, it was a really fun experience for me. You went from how many teams – and then to the zenith of it, and what did the value? Had the value increased? You know, I think we started with nine teams, and we went to seventeen teams uh, when I left. The value of those teams were Tampa Bay was twenty million, and it sold for just about twenty million. Uh, bon Jovi and Ron Jaworski's team that had appraised, I think, for thirty-two million uh, with Citigroup. Uh, we had an ex- expansion application in for Pittsburgh at sixteen million, so. They had grown quite a bit. I think the team that I bought, uh, I bought for like $270,000. But we also had AF2, which was minor league teams, because really it was a sport that you, it's, it's, you know, 50-yard football is a lot different than 100-yard football. Uh, On 100-yard football, speed kills. But on 50-yard football, it's all about quickness and and, and recognizing and, and, and quick execution. To have a minor league helped, and we actually developed 42 minor league teams in a lot of secondary markets. You know, at, at each stop, uh, and, and I don't think I'm giving your your viewers any uh, incredible insight, but at each stop in life, you learn a lot. And, and I learned an awful lot with the Arena Football League, and I went in to see Commissioner Tagliabue and talked to him, and he was a actually a great supporter because he saw what the league did for for kids who were interested in it. He also saw that it had a special uh, appeal to women because they could be so close to the game. I mean, with that game, if you're sitting on the sidelines, it's like sitting on the hash marks of an NFL game. You're, you can hear it. You can feel it sometimes. And, and he said, hang in here. I want you to work with someone. And he goes to the office next door, and he brings in this guy with this extra long title as vice president of strategic initiatives and such and such and such and such. And uh, that was Commissioner Goodell, Roger Goodell. And we had dinner pretty religiously for once a month for 10 years before he became commissioner. And it was a wonderful discussion because even at a different level, I was doing it, but he was preparing clearly to do it at the NFL level. And he would give me advice. I would test that advice. And, uh, and we spent a lot of time, you know, very seriously, a lot of discussions into the evening talking about the integrity of the game and what the game could do to make a difference in people's lives. So you leave the Arena Football League. Now you go back to some of your previous work in terms of development. I actually left the Arena Football League because uh, my son, Sam, I've got two sons, 
actually four children by marriage uh, total, but two biologically by by me. And because they're my biological sons, they're pretty good sized guys. <laughs> and so uh, we corrected that mistake about playing football in this generation. And my one son, Sam, played for uh, USC, where he was a, a three-time All-American there. Actually, four, if you count his freshman All-American team. Uh, my other son played at Duke, you know, uh, there for a while. And, you know, while Sam was winning 35 straight with Pete Carroll out at USC, Ben was losing 22 straight at Duke. But what I loved about it was that they were both learning the same lessons. They were both learning about perseverance. They were both learning about uh, about getting up when you get knocked down. They were both learning about being a part of something that was bigger than them and, or, or caring about something else more than themselves. You know, Sam had ended up getting drafted in the first round, 21st overall, by the Atlanta Falcons. And to be quite honest with you, Jed, that scared the hell out of me and its well. I've known a lot of kids who've gone through this, a lot of friends who've gone through it. And I could... He, he made a lot of money, uh, and I could handle him having less money. But I don't think I could handle him being a different person than his mom raised because uh, I liked the kid that Sam was and, and Ben as well. Um, and I've seen how money and the pressures of professional sport, especially as a left tackle, can change you. So I uh, actually uh, left the league on July uh, 26th of 2008. And kind of got involved with Sammy, just making sure he had some rules for his life and he followed them. Uh, and made sure he had a financial advisor and he followed the advice of that financial advisor. Uh, we picked three guys from whom he picked the agent, uh, Tom Condon, and Tom did a wonderful job for him. But it was to try to get his life set. It's a dangerous time. From uh, you know, My kids never lacked for anything in their life. We were pretty fortunate. Uh, but to get more money than you could possibly need rushed upon you suddenly is, I don't know that that is a blessing. I think it can sometimes be a curse. That's why I left the Arena Football League. Now, as it turned out, uh, that was July of 2008. And in October of 2008, uh, obviously there was a huge recession and the world changed. And uh, I wish I'd been around for the Arena Football League during that time. While I regret leaving the Arena Football League because of the league, uh, I'm very thankful for having been around Sam to establish a good foundation for him uh, for the rest of his career and hopefully for the rest of his life. You got into the, some real estate, though, too, in terms of... Oh, yeah. Good point. Uh, thank you. I, I needed something to do <laughs> and then, uh, after that. And I went back and I got involved with some partners. And I had learned, really, when I was mayor of Irvine, quite a bit about the economic development and, and about job creation. And Irvine is a city that to this day is only about 300,000, but its population between nine and five probably swells to, you know, close to a million, to, to 800, 900,000 a million. And that's because there's, so, there's more jobs there than there are people who live there. And those jobs create payroll and they create sales tax. And then people who buy property, you know, you know, pay property tax. And as a result of that, you end up with incredible schools, incredible infrastructure, incredible safety services for police and fire. And, and I'd learned a lot about that. Uh, the other area that I'd learned a lot about was healthcare. So with some partners, we uh, looked at 
creating what is an integrated health village on 178 acres in Henderson, Nevada. And the reason we picked that is because uh, Nevada was, I think, 49th in healthcare and 51st for healthcare for children. We actually uh, developed this integrated health village, recruited a hospital to come that is now a 390-bed hospital, I believe. Uh, it, it, it was the concept of building all these support facilities around it, and it also has uh, some apartments and condos where people can live, work, and play, uh, and, and then some retail about it. And it's been, uh, you know, a, a, about a ten-year project, but it's been very successful. I think it's created about ten thousand jobs. Well, the next time I got to see you, we were involved with Kerry Jones and the group in terms of bringing a, a leader in for the Hall of Fame, looking for somebody who's going to be really strategic. And yeah. you've taken this Hall of Fame. Let's talk about what you inherited and what you, and how you've really enhanced it and grown it and really made it. You know, you had this concept to turn it into like a Disneyland from, from a resort perspective and amusements. And, if I could, it just kind of take it one step back and talk about the call when you called me. Yeah. Because I'd known you for a long time and uh, you, you had changed the lives of a lot of friends and I think done a lot of good in organizations by finding just the right person that was a fit. And when you called me, I was actually a little disappointed because I, I think I'd looked at the Pro Football Hall of Fame as um, a little mom and pop and I knew my predecessor and he was a guy with great integrity uh, but when we talked, I, I said, yeah, I was kind of interested in something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of gave you my best Will Ferrell invitation and said, I've got this big project going out here and I'm the managing partner of it. And and you sent me a, the job description for it. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't even read the job description, uh, but I uh, sent it to my wife when I was cleaning up my email at the end of the day. And I said, hey, you'll never guess what happened today. And she called me 15 minutes later and she said, hey, we're going to go do this. <laughs> and I said, well, sweetheart, I, I, you know, I think I just told them no, and, and that I had this other project. She said, well, you call them back. And I said, well, sweetheart, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it's cold in Ohio. It's colder than you've ever been in Southern California. And, and she said, I can handle it. And then we talked about kids and grandkids. And I said, why do you want to do this so much? And to her great credit, Jed, she said, have you read this thing? And quite honestly, I hadn't even read it. And she said, well, you got to read it. She said, because this is what you believe. And I think what you wrote there was very much of what I believe. And she was exactly right. I do believe that sports teaches all of us how to be better, how to care for each other, how to huddle up. Uh, th there's some pretty fundamentals of things in life but when your marriage is on the line or your kids are going sideways or you've got an ethical crisis in your life, I tell you, you go back to those fundamentals. And I've, I've kind of gotten in trouble for this sometimes, but I think it's true with great respect and gratitude for all of our teachers and our educational system. When somebody is in trouble in their life, they don't go back to their chemistry teacher or their calculus teacher, but we all go back to our coach. And I tend to believe a coach teaches you a lot of things, but the fundamental things they teach you is how to get up, how to go on. And I call it the Church of Football now, but I really think that the Pro Football Hall of Fame was a wonderful opportunity to talk about excellence, to talk about a lifetime of achievement, and how it's not really about the worship of the football hero, 
it, it's really about the values that they employed over a long period of time, not only to get to greatness for themselves, but to drag a whole lot of other people to greatness with them. And I have seen that over and over and over again. And as I've come to know so many of our gold jackets as friends, we all think that they fell out of bed great, but not one single one of them did. Uh, they either had to overcome physical issues or relational issues or, or emotional issues, uh, and, and, and they fought to be great. And I think that, that our mission to honor the heroes of the game isn't just about the worship of football heroes or football as entertainment. It's to preserve its history and to promote its values and to celebrate excellence everywhere. And there's a lot that you can take from what you can learn in football that'll make you a better executive or, or frankly, a better father or mother or better community. And so I think there's a lot right now as we go through so much racial and rife and so much fear, if you will, because of a pandemic uh, that can teach us how to be a better country. Um, you know, the NFL showed a lot of leadership this year. Ohio State, I think, canceled three games. I think Michigan canceled four. The NFL had to play on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and Friday nights for the first time in its 101-year history. But they got in 265, and they got in the Super Bowl. And these were people who were black, white, and brown. Uh, they were union and management. They were owners, players, coaches. They were networks referees and they worked together and, and there were no excuses i mean you're an old coach and what i've learned when i was a commissioner about coaches is they like to control everything <laughs> they don't want anything that they don't control and this was a year where they didn't control anything and so when the broncos play the saints uh, and they don't have a quarterback uh, nobody on the broncos is saying you know this is useless let's forfeit they're saying, hey, there's a guy here on our practice squad who played a little quarterback in college. When Detroit had an infection through their coaching staff, they didn't forfeit. They said, hey, there's some guys in the film room. Let's go get them. I have always thought that going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame was this huge platform that the NFL provides to talk about all the great lessons that sport has taught me, taught my boys, um, that I think it stands for. And as part of that, you know, we started looking at our business plan and our business model. Pretty soon I wanted to have a hotel around the Hall of Fame. We needed a new stadium. Uh, then could we get some fields around it? And we started the development of Hall of Fame Village. And uh, for me, you know, the, the, you know we kind of took on the, uh, you know, the statement that it is the most inspiring place on earth because if Disney's got the happiest place on earth, we've got the most inspiring place on earth because uh, you'd be surprised how many people come by every week who this is their bucket list item and they've only got weeks to live. Well, Disney built Disneyland on the backs of a cartoon mouse, for goodness sakes. He didn't have Jim Brown or Joe Montana or Roger Staubach or, or Dan Marino or Jim Kelly or Peyton Manning. He had a cartoon mouse. So what could we do by bu building a theme-based experience place where a lot of kids could play and learn in the performance centers where people could get better. Uh, and, and it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of coordination. But again, kind of like Union Village, which is uh, the project that we did in Henderson, a lot like what we did in 
uh, in Irvine. It's a lot about job creation and opportunity for others. So in terms of where your vision is in, in relationship to stages, where are you in terms of your vision and how complete it is? Well, we've now formed kind of two different companies, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I now head up, you know, the Village itself, which is a, a separate funded company because we're not for profit, it's for profit. For me, I wanted to stay close to this message that means so much uh, and, and has done so much for me and my family. Before I left, we had built the stadium, uh, four fields, uh, that was kind of this national football center. Uh, and, and that was about $300 million. They've now got the second phase, which is a hotel downtown. It'll be another hotel kind of finishing the end zone of the village in an office building and some retail, even more youth fields uh, and a water park, by the way. Uh, so that's the second phase. But, you know, people ask when it's going to be done. And you know, I, I frequently cite Walt Disney, who said, you know, if we're lucky, it'll never be done. This uh-huh. will go on forever. Talk about, for our audience, how the election of the Hall of Fame works and the fact you have two different separate classes. We have 48 elite selectors. And you, to be a selector, you've got to be a respected member of the media. It's guys like Peter King, Sports Illustrated, or uh, Sal Palantonio, or John Clayton from ESPN, Jarrett Bell from USA Today. It's a lot of really sharp guys who've given their life to studying the game and and its history. And they really work year round, uh, Jed, to to be in a situation where they uh, find who is qualified to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we kind of start immediately after the enshrinement. So once we get some guys enshrined, we start over again. And there's three committees. And those committees are the senior committee, which are guys who've been out of the league for more than 25 years, uh, the coaches committee, and the contributors committee. And a contributor is anybody who's not a player or coach. Uh, so it could be an owner or a general manager or a commissioner, like Commissioner Tagliabue, who will go in this year. They will each make their selection and their recommendation as a finalist in each of those three groups. So you get three there. The rest of the year, we accept nominations, and then we get it down to 100. And then we get those modern era players down to 25. And then finally, we get them down to 15 in January. We take those 15, put them with those three. We put them what we call in the room. And generally, we didn't do it. We did it earlier this year because of necessity. Uh, but we do it the day before the Super Bowl. And it is an all-day meeting. And I don't have a vote, but you kind of got to be 6'9 and 400 pounds to run this meeting because guys are passionate about it. And they, is it there the right is some, that you're voting on it? Yeah, they're, they're voting on it. And it's a debate. And we go through each one of them. Then we will cast our ballots in, in a certain way. And uh, then uh, our auditors, who are Ernst & Young, will hand me an envelope. And I'm in the meeting all day long, and I'm always surprised when I open up the envelope. And it can be anywhere from four to eight who have received 80% of those 48 votes. Now, that's an incredible high standard. How many votes does a committee member get? Uh, one vote. Okay, well, one vote for each of those players. So uh, if we end up with uh, eight guys who are, you know, in the finals, uh, they would get one vote for each of those guys. They can't vote it. They can't put two votes on another guy. Uh, but it, you've got to get 80% of the 48 that are there. You know, thank God Congress doesn't have a standard like that. Nothing would ever get done. 
but it shows the very high standard to get in. And, and, and these guys work on it year round. Peter King once told me that he does 120 interviews a year just to prepare for that day on who's the best. If he's interviewing Bill Parcells, uh, he'll ask him about Lawrence Taylor versus some Richard Seymour, who, who might be up next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's a, it's a, these guys take it very seriously. We also now have Hall of Famers in the media that are in there. Dan Fouts, James Lofton, Tony Dungy, uh, Bill Polian. And it's a great discussion. I wish every fan could see it, but we keep a lot of it confidential so that anything that can be said should be said. And, and then the way we notify them traditionally is we have them invite them all to the Hall of Fame and we go around and knock on the door that you may have seen. And it's always incredible uh, to see their reaction and what it means to them. That's got to be an incredible feeling because you're one of the ones knocking on the door, aren't you? Yeah, I, I am the one that's knocking on the door. And uh, this year we actually, because we couldn't bring them all to the Super Bowl, we got on a jet and went to them. You know, in Peyton Manning's life, he had every coach that had coached him from high school on uh, there when we, we when we essentially kind of, it was at Mile High Stadium, but we figuratively knocked on his door and he was shocked and surprised. But for each one of these guys, uh, when you knock on their door, uh, you know, Randy Moss is one of my favorite guys because when he came to the door, he was this incredibly, incredible star. But by the time we got through, I think he was more than a star. He was an ambassador for the game. And and I always do three things. Number one, I welcome them to Canton, Ohio, because that's where their legacy will live forever. That, that bronze bust is supposed to last for 40,000 years. And uh, second of all, I thank them for all they've done and and all they're going to do for the game. And then lastly, I promise them that we're going to keep their legacy alive there forever. Not just the player they are and the stats they had, but everything we can find out about their heart and about what made them and what they valued, what they learned from the game. We take that very, very seriously at the pro football of fame. Jed, we actually have an archive for every player that ever played in the NFL. If you played a down in the NFL, you have an archive at the pro football of fame. So we take it very seriously. And when this happens to these guys and you knock on the door, it's, it's, Almost all of them cry. You know, the, the way to make a great, grown man cry is to tell him he's going to Canton. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think when they're doing that, I've had an opportunity. I've now done it about 80 times. And when you look into their eyes, you can catch a little bit of the soul. And they're not thinking about how much money they made. They're, they're thinking about their mom driving them to practice or their dad not letting them quit or their coach that inspired them or their teammates uh, who helped them get there. And it is like you can almost see them wrap themselves in, in their journey uh, from being an eight year old to walking on that field and looking out the ear hole of that helmet to, you know, the last time they took off the pads. Do you think there are two or three criteria that are common among all the people that you've knocked on their door? Listen, each guy's journey is different and they're tough, but I, uh, I will tell you that I am absolutely uh, convinced that these guys have a, a, number one, it is an incredible passion, uh, a desire to succeed, a desire to pull other people together, uh, a, a love for the game and a love for each other. You know, we have a thing called the Rainiski Luncheon 
it is only gold jackets that get in there. I can't go in there. It is only gold jackets. And those guys miss the love that they found in the locker room. And they see, they feel it when they're together again there. And, and I think it's that element of, for all of us in sports, you know, there have been a few moments in time where we were lucky enough to play on a team that somehow was synergistically better because we cared a little bit more each other or we trusted in each other more. And, and to me, these guys drive that. Uh, they they want to be a part of something that's bigger than them. Uh, they want to help others be better than they are. And, and so it's this incredible passion. Uh, the second thing is, I would say, incredible perseverance. Passion is what gets you involved and what makes you work hard. But perseverance is what you do when you encounter adversity. So you look like at a guy like Warren Moon, who's the first African-American quarterback in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who, you know, he ends up being a high school you know, player of, in the state of California, but he's not recruited, so he's got to go to JC. He ends up being the JC Junior College Player of the Year, and he ends up going to Washington ends up being the Rose Bowl MVP, but he's not drafted in the NFL because nobody thinks a black man can be a quarterback. He goes to the CFL for six years, is the MVP there over and over again. He comes back and he plays 22 years in the NFL. If he would have listened to people, uh, he, was, he would have stopped all the time. But he didn't listen to them. He, he kind of found his own way and he believed in himself. So passion, I think perseverance, and I, I also think a, a big part of it is hope. Uh, hope yields courage. These guys, you know, to see a guy like Jim Kelly, who went to the, you know, with, with a, a really close team with Marv Levy and Bruce Smith, and, uh, Andre Reed, uh, uh, Thurman Thomas, he goes to four straight Super Bowls and he never wins, but he never gives up. Right. And then later on, you file in life that maybe what God was really doing was preparing him to fight cancer which he's beat three times. There's a lot of commonality in these guys, but I would say those are at the top of the list. David, the impact you've made on the Hall of Fame has been mind-boggling. I mean, when we did the, began the search, Jerry Jones was a huge fan and supporter of saying, hey, we got to get this man. You convinced him that your vision and the way you wanted to, to position it was what was critical. When I remember I was at the Hall of Fame when Ken Easley got inducted, Jerry Jones did that same in that same session and how proud he was. Phil Knight had made special shoes for him. Yeah. 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 That was great. That, yeah. that was uh, that was what you call a come full circle from uh, where the owner, you know, was uh, pretty significant in terms of you, but just your personality and the passion and the vision you had and the way you, you've heightened this and made this an event and something that's even bigger than just wearing a gold jacket. I appreciate it. Listen, you, 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 you convinced me to come, you know, I, I left a pretty good project uh, where, where it could have made a lot more money to come, but I, I think it's been a great job. And I think uh, I, I, I don't know how, whether I've got it for another day or for another 10 years, but it has been a wonderful place to make a difference. And I frequently thank Jerry and I thank you and I, Thank Commissioner Goodell uh, for letting us be a part of something that is, you know, pretty special. I, I think our gold jackets, I've, I've taken two trips with those guys, 20 uh, gold jackets each time uh, with Robert Kraft to go to Israel. And, uh, you know, we're meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu. 
we had 10 of our gold jackets meet in a private audience with the Pope. And the Pope doesn't know the difference between Jerry Jones and Jerry Rice, but he knows what that gold jacket stands for. And he knows that this is a game that brings people together. Maybe it was because of my folks were so simple and uh, the values that I learned from it. Uh, I learned a lot from coaches, but I think there's a lot here that America can grab, especially now. And, and the, the guys who who I serve here, and whether it's uh, you know Jim Brown or or our, we have the Black College Football Hall of Fame at the Pro Football Hall of Fame now, uh, guys who went to historical Black College, and Bill Nunn, who was with the Steelers, who went out and got so many great Black players from historical Black colleges. These guys were on the cutting edge of race. You know, and, and, and now I got Ellen Bethay, who uh, lives in Houston, who drives to South Carolina to pick up Joe DeLamalier, and they drive to Counting together, to, to a Black guy and a white guy. And they don't think of themselves as Black and white. They think of themselves as brothers. And, and, and there are just so many wonderful lessons here. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, excellence in our business. I mean, you know, I, I read the stuff that comes out of Corn Ferry, and I know your CEO does a weekly newsletter, you know, that I follow quite a bit here about, you know, different lessons. But, you know, excellence in our business is not pristine. It's not perfect. It's not this clean white sheet of paper. Excellence in our business, the business that you coached, is not coming out of your nose and blood coming out of your mouth and a filthy uniform and and, and and I think in there, there is great inspiration about living a life that is fulfilling because you fought for something with some people you believed in. No doubt. I'm glad that Colleen read the spec. <laughs> well, she did. It, again, let me tell you, that was a real compliment. And I told you that, I don't know if you remember afterwards, I asked, did you write this? Because it was something that it... it uh, if you were throwing a dart, it, it hit me in the heart, and it hit her in the heart. And, and, and I think we've had, I mean, I could tell you so many stories of impacts we've had on kids, on towns, uh, on inner city people. The Hall this year uh, won the award for the uh, Booker T. Washington Award from the National Minority Quality Forum for having an impact on minorities. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I'm not in the habit of sharing my press clippings here, but uh, in 2018, the March of Dimes, which has the huge dinner for sports and media uh, in New York around Christmas time, uh, honored me as the National uh, Sports Leader of the Year. And previously, that is guys who run leagues and run networks, and and I run, I'm I'm this little, you know, not for profit in Canton, Ohio. But what's cool about that isn't the trophy or just the honor. It's the lives, it's recognizing the lives that got touched along the way. You know, that our Hall of Famers are not just stars anymore. They are ambassadors. They're out there doing great good. Uh, and and, uh, and they're not just relevant, they're making a difference. And they're doing it uh, at the age of, you know, at, at the new guys. Uh, or a guy like Marv Levy, who just turned 95, or Charlie Trippi, who just turned 99. You know, I am deeply in your debt uh, for however long I'm here. Oh. Uh, it, 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 it has been colder than I've ever imagined, <laughs> but it's also been more fulfilling than I could have ever hoped. Well, that was because you took your heart and put it in all those lessons your mom and dad taught you. 
Well, it's it, it, listen. I I'm I'm grateful to them too. It, again, it's a uh, you know when you want to play, you want to play at a high level. You want to play with good people, and you want to play for something that matters. I think I've had the privilege of doing all that at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and uh, I think we're going to continue as long as we can doing good. This year, we will have what I believe will be the greatest gathering in football ever, and I hope you'll be there, Jed. Uh, a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers guys, by the way. Uh, the game is the Steelers versus the Cowboy, and it sold out in 22 minutes, despite the whole pandemic. Uh, we will have the Centennial class, which we didn't get the chance to enshrine last year, but that was going to be 20 guys for 2020. Uh, and, and it's Troy Palomalu and, uh, you know, uh, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson, a whole lot of other guys. Uh, and then on that'll they'll be enshrined on uh, Saturday. And then on Sunday, We'll enshrine the class of 2021, which has Peyton Manning, Tom Flores, Alan Fanica, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnston. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think Drew Pearson. I'm trying to think of who I missed here, but it's a lot of great guys. And I think this will be one of the greatest gatherings, like I said, in football ever. And God willing, we will have uh, a full stadium for each of those events. Uh, and that'll be the first time for football uh, for almost two years. Uh, unbelievable. Listen, thanks for being our guest today. I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with us. Jed, uh, thank you. Uh, you've been a friend for a long, long time, but I wouldn't have be your guest here. I wouldn't have much to share unless you'd come and found me and challenged me to do something so special. So thank you. Thanks for the kind words.